Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. I, I kind of want to sit on these black chairs and just kind of have a chair chat with you. Um, it's great to be with you, and thank you for being here. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to just jump right in to this series. I am uh, excited. You know, these series start, um, gosh, almost a year ahead of time. And so by the time it gets to this platform, um, hours and hours from so many people have invested in it and get close with it. I feel like they're close friends, the book of Revelation, John, Jesus, obviously. So uh, it's great to get out of the gates, really great. The year is 1939. During World War II, Germans are bombing London, and a British graphic artist thought he could help with the morale in England. So he designed a poster, a poster we know very well, but at the time he designed it, Keep Calm and Carry On. Have you seen this? Yeah. But you may not know the government officials thought that message would never catch. So they obliterated, destroyed all two and a half million posters when they were designed, or so it was thought. Fast forward to the year 2000, and a single copy of this poster was rediscovered in the basement of a used bookstore in England. The owners framed it and put it up by the cash register. There's the original right there. And the rest is history. It just went viral around the world because who doesn't need that message? Keep calm and carry on. Especially these days. On Tuesday, as I was writing this message, putting the finishing touches on it, I just thought of the headlines that hit me on Tuesday. That was when Bill Cosby was being sentenced and the horror of what this man had done. And then moving forward into the arena of the Supreme Court justice nomination and, and how that I've had, I think I'm counting four conversations with men and women who have abuse in their past and this has just ripped a scab off of them and just almost made the horror of what they've gone through back to the surface. And this morning, a tsunami in uh, Indonesia killing 800 people. It just goes on and on and on, right? Who doesn't need this message today? Keep calm and carry on. Now let me ask you a question. Where do you go to find peace and hope now and for your future in these days, in these times? Where do you go? Grab your message notes as we begin this series called Dear Church, based on seven letters that Jesus personally wrote. Think about that. Personally wrote to seven churches in the book of Revelation. I cannot wait for us to engage in this study. Uh, these letters are, in, in particular, sort of an original keep calm and carry on to the church. Uh, except Jesus kicks it up a notch. Jesus' message is keep confident and carry on. I've got to tell you, even on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, even to this morning, uh, in my own devotionals in Revelation 4 and 5, in my own time with the Lord, uh, Revelation just will grab your heart 
It's, it's Christology. It's picture of who Jesus is. is unbelievable. Like we open this whole gathering and it will, it will do something for you as you center your life on Jesus. Don't miss this. I'll say it twice today. Jesus as he is now, not the Jesus that we knew in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That Jesus was great. But I need to tell you, Jesus is still alive and he's still revealing himself as he is now in heaven, seated on a throne, the center of the universe, of all worship, of all creation. It doesn't look like that from us, but this is because the five senses are so limiting when it comes to determining reality. It was back then, and we'll see that, it is today. And when you lift your head and lift your spirits, and you see Jesus as he is today, I'm going to tell you, it's going to do something to you. It will change you. And that's what we're going to do for the next eight weeks. I cannot wait for this. Can you tell I'm a little excited? Well, contrary to popular opinion and public opinion, Revelation is not a horror story about a coming Armageddon. It's a hope story about a present and coming kingdom, a kingdom that's invading, like a meteor coming to earth, a kingdom that is on its way, and we can have hope in that. Now, why would we spend a whole fall studying a book that can be so confusing? Ten years ago, we spent a whole year studying the whole book. We went from Revelation 1 to Revelation 21. And was anyone here for that, 2008? Yeah, and I had people literally on the first day saying, I'll see you in June. I do not, it just scares me. I don't want to come back, you know. And um, anyway, here's why, because we read it together. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who, are, who hear it. So that means I'm going to be blessed, you're going to be blessed as we read this book. You're going to be blessed as you hear the book and take to heart what's written in it because the time is near. Seven times, there's seven beatitudes in the book. It's like God is saying, come on, you'll be blessed. Come on, read this, you'll be blessed. I I promise you'll be blessed. How many times does God have to say something for us to believe it? Now, as a parent, my girls know if I say something twice, that's not good. If I say something three times, wow, now we're in trouble. Seven times God is saying, not that you're in trouble, but seven times saying, please believe me, you'll be blessed. Please believe me, you'll be blessed. Please believe me, you'll be blessed. Please believe me, on and on. Isn't he a good God? Isn't he amazing? And so he's just wooing us in. That's why we're doing this. And it's not just a vague God bless you after you sneeze kind of blessing. What he's talking about here is a concrete state of being with the understanding that God knows. That God has a plan. That God is coming back. That history is his story. And everything is coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ, even the evil of the headlines that face us every week. Even the evil of the disease that's capturing you or the broken relationships that have pained you. God knows. He's coming back. And there's so much more than meets the eye going on. That's why it's exciting. So let's just do an overview. Let me answer six questions, and then I'll dive a little deep 
Fasten your seatbelts, everybody. We're going to go for it, okay? Get your pens and pencils out, and here we go. Who wrote the book? Uh, the Apostle John. He's one of the original disciples. He was Jesus' best friend. It's really important. Uh, Jesus only let one person lay on his chest, and it was the Apostle John. He's that, he was that intimate with Jesus. But by the time he writes, we're probably, I dated the book at 96 AD. Uh, think about that. Jesus dies 33 AD. Uh, by the time John writes, all his friends are dead. All the disciples are gone. His best friends are gone, and he's the last one. Hello, Ernestine. I just got to say hi to you. It's so good to see you. Just tell me if you leave and are coming back so I know, because I just want to stop the service. Ernestine Hoyt was just such a vital part of our body for so long. Welcome. Glad you're here. I pray for you every day, she says. Thank you. We love this church. We love you. Uh, where was I? <laughs> oh, he's all alone. So imagine that. You're the last living survivor of your clan. Some of you have that reality and the loneliness of that. That's who wrote, and that's when he wrote. Uh, where did he write this from? Now, when John wrote this, he's living on an island called Patmos in the Aegean Sea. Now, when I say Aegean Sea, you probably think an island like this, right? Uh, no, think this island. Okay. That's where John wrote from. That's what Patmos was in the first century. It was a rocky island where John literally would get bleached from the sun he is uh, worn down. He's pounding rocks. It's a prison camp. And John was in prison. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's throw up a map here and let me show you what's going on. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So uh, modern day Turkey. Uh, and on the left in red, Patmos. You can see it there right off the coast of the island. Then you see seven churches near the coast. It was actually an ancient mail route. Uh, that would take place in the Roman Empire. So John is on this island, getting bleached, suffering for the Lord, literally, and he's looking across the sea at land, and he sees and knows the beloved churches, people he loves, who are being persecuted for their faith. And his heart is breaking for them. And there's nothing he can do for them. So, when, uh, when did he write this? 96 AD, I told you that. Why that date's important? It's an intense time for Christians. Intense. Um, they uh, were serving under a crazy emperor. Most of us know the name Nero. He got a lot of press, right? He's the one that burned Rome, blamed the Christians. Think Colosseum. Think Peter and Paul who were killed under Nero. One's beheaded outside of Rome. Uh, one's crucified upside down in Rome under Nero. He hated Christians. Uh, after Nero came an emperor named Domitian who made Nero look passive when it comes to Christians. Domitian was insecure, he was crazy, and he hated two types of people. This is no lie. He hated actors and he hated Christians. Uh, history records in one fell swoop, he persecuted and killed 40,000 Christians in one attack. I mean, we're talking 92 AD, 40,000 Christians. There weren't that you know, many Christians on the planet, and he killed 40,000 of them. Uh, Timothy was beaten to death under Domitian. Uh, and he would have killed John, he tried, but John was just too popular. And so he banishes him for being a Christian 
on an island called Patmos. And so here's John looking across the sea, knowing his brothers and sisters, people he loves, are being persecuted, killed for following Jesus. That's their crime. And there's nothing he can do about it. Then that leads to what? What is this book? The word revelation means apocalyptos. That's what the word literally is in Greek. Apocalyptos. From which we get the word apocalypse. Now when you hear that word, what comes to mind? Apocalypse. Talk back to me. End of time. Yes. Yes. End of time. And that's what's going on, right? The word apocalypse has come to mean destruction recently. But it's not what the word means actually, everybody. The word literally means, you ready, apocalypse? It means an unveiling, uh, uh, revealing. Think Wizard of Oz, end of the scene, right? When Dorothy and, and this tin man, the scarecrow and the lion are there and all the fire's going and what does Toto do? Pulls back the curtain, remember that? Okay, I can't use that illustration in, in the other settings, but I can use it here, right? <laughs> That's Revelation. John is on an island. He's being bleached by the sun. He's looking across and he's, he knows the persecution. And there's a, there's a false evangelism taking place that could infiltrate his mind. Same thing that happens to you and me, that Domitian's winning. What's happened, Jesus? You said you were coming back. Where are you? And Jesus shows up and says, oh, let me just pull back the curtain. And let me put, don't miss this, the present in light of the present. You think you see one thing? Here's what's really going on in the present. Secondly, let me put the future in light of the present. You think you think this is going one way? Oh, let me pull the curtain back. Here's where this thing's headed. Now, how could that not be encouraging? When you're in circumstances that are dire, and who doesn't? Jesus promised, John 16, in this world we will face trouble, right? And there's times that we think with our five senses, which are so limiting to our view of reality. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And it could be terrible on one sense. What if Jesus shows up and says, I know. Let me just show you what's going on behind the scenes and put your present in light of the present that's going on in the heavenlies and put your future in light of the, what's going on in the heavenlies. Um, I watched a documentary on World War II about the invasion of Normandy. And uh, it said in this documentary, the soldiers on the boats who stormed Normandy in those U-boats thought, there's no way we can win. There's no way, especially with the, the hell that took place when, when they hit the shore. Why? Because they were too close to the battle. All they saw was the chaos and the bloodshed. Then they interviewed the soldiers on the airplanes flying above. You know what was going through their mind? There's no way we can lose. This documentary pointed out from their vantage point, they saw the whole thing like, we got this. It was all a different uh, of opinion based on the vantage point. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. Heaven's perspective on your present. Heaven's perspective on your future as a follower of Jesus. How can that not encourage you? 
Now, how is this communicated? How did John get this message? It involves a lot of symbolic language, and the imagery is completely understood by the original readers, but is lost on us today, 2,000 years later, in the West. Uh, for instance, let's just take one verse in the how. Revelation 3.1. Turn your Bibles. Revelation 3.1, or it's on the screen. These are the words of him who holds, what? The seven stars. The book of Revelation explains one layer of meaning. We see that if you read Revelation 1. The seven stars are the seven churches that we'll visit in our series. But culturally, there's a whole different meaning that's lost on us. Uh, and let me just point that out and show you how this plays out. Um, Domitian, because he was all about Domitian, had coins printed with guess who on them? Domitian, right? And on the back, he actually put his son, you can see it here, this is archaeology, uh, his son is sitting on the world, ruling the world, and by the way, Domitian had temples built. Next week, uh, Brian Wren will teach through the first letter in the book of Ephesus. They've unearthed a temple to Domitian where the Ephesians would come and worship Domitian as Lord and say, Domitian is Lord, Domitian is Lord. And, and anyway, so he has his son sitting on the world. Even back then, they, they believed the world could have been round. And, and then look what's around the sun. Seven stars. Okay? He's holding the whole universe, or what they thought was the universe at that point. So this coin reminded every Roman citizen that the Son of God, Domitian was God, who controls the universe, rules the world, deserves your worship. Who did every Roman worship in 92, 96 AD? Domitian. But then Revelation 3.1 comes, and God said, these are the words of him, the real one who holds the seven stars. Jesus is saying, wait a second. I know in every aspect of your culture, you think Domitian's son holds the seven stars. But Jesus appeared and said, John, I still hold the stars. Or in our modern language, I've still got the whole world in my hands. Can you imagine how encouraging that would be for John among setbacks and what have you? This is all over the book of Revelation, this kind of imagery and symbolism, right? Now, why was it written? Why did it happen in the first place? You know, uh, Ben talked about his illustration of the um, Miami Dolphins. Uh, back in 2002, I think, the New York Giants were playing, uh, maybe it was 2010, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And we used to have a Sunday evening service. And I was going to a Super Bowl party after the service. Uh, and as I got in the car to go to the Super Bowl party, the Super Bowl party uh, was delaying because they stopped and did stuff. So they were five minutes behind real time. And I was listening to the game going to the party. Uh, if you remember in that Super Bowl, Eli Manning on the final drive threw a ball and the guy caught it on his head. Do you remember that? And they kept the drive alive and the New York Giants upset the New England Patriots. In the Super Bowl party, the majority of people in the party were New York Giants fans. Now, I had been listening to this in real time, and I actually stopped in the driveway because this drive was going on, and I was going nuts, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, and then they won, the Giants won, and I was screaming in my car, and I, I couldn't wait to, I thought, I missed the party, they're all going to be celebrating. Well, I didn't know they were five minutes delayed with the <laughs> Patriots still winning. And so I got in the party, 
quickly saw the somber mood. It looked like the, the Patriots had taken this thing before this drive took place. And I just tempered back, and I thought, wow, this is a lot like Revelation. Um, I know the end. They don't. They're somber. I'm hiding my excitement. That's why Revelation was, won, uh, was written. God knows the end. He's got the whole world in his hands. And Jesus appears to John in Patmos because the cultural headlines, don't miss this, were unavoidable and undeniable. Domitian is dominating. And then Jesus shows up and he pulls back time and he reveals what's going on in the sense that the natural person doesn't have, the spirit realm. And he says to John, I've got a new headline to write for you. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. So let me ask you a question. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think about it. Which headlines are dominating your emotions, your thinking, your spiritual life? Which headlines? Cultural headlines? We don't deny those here. We know we live in a sin-cursed world. So we're not saying to be so heavenly-minded, you know, earthly good. But the reality is, to quote C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, we're not heavenly-minded enough. And what we're inviting us to in the next eight weeks is to let heavenly headlines dominate our present. Because the biggest need in our culture is not Christians who are completely engrossed in cultural headlines. They're Christians who have their minds fixed on heaven and walk with hope. Okay? Which headlines are dominating your spirit right now? got to tell you, even, even to this morning, like renewing my mind with what's going on in Revelation, expanding my finish line, it's just been so um, spirit-empowering for me. So spirit-empowering. So let's close with a few headlines I want you to have, okay? Turn to page two, and let me give you two, uh, two headlines I think Jesus wants us to really renew our mind with. Again, don't deny reality, but don't let the end of the sentence be reality. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to end that way, especially as followers of Christ. Amen? Okay, here's the first. Keep focused on Jesus. We're going to see this throughout our study in eight weeks. Let's start in Revelation 1.10. Open to Revelation 1. I'll just walk through that passage a little bit for you. John says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. That just means it was Sunday and I was worshiping. It's what we're doing here, except John didn't, he was a pastor, right? But he didn't have a church anymore. It was him and the rocks. But it didn't stop him from worshiping. What would stop you from worshiping? We have an example here. We, we're, we're studying this book because of the conviction of a saint that says, I don't care how bad it gets. I'll go to my grave worshiping Jesus. It's a resolve, Right? Uh, this shows the power of worship, right? And this, this was my experience today in Revelation 4 and 5, focusing on Jesus and saying, you're worth it. You're worth it. That's worship. Worth-ship. You're worth it. You're worth getting up early to come and gather with the body. 
You're worth my obedience. You're worth my praise. You're worth walking by faith. I'm not worth it. You're worth it. That's what John was doing. Imagine, he, he's bleached, he's, he's emaciated, he's sore. And it's the Lord's day, and he's like, I gotta worship. Because God, you're worth every pain I've experienced. And every time someone dies a saint, you're worth it. And I heard behind me, circle that word in your Bible, this was not like an internal thought, someone appeared, a voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice. In other words, it's not in his head, it's behind him. He heard a voice. And who shows up? His old friend Jesus. And he says down in verse 13, he was among the lampstands, literally in the middle of the churches, right? That's why in every letter we're going to read in the next seven weeks, Jesus makes this statement, I, I know. I know. Because you know when we're gathering here, you know what the Spirit of God's doing right now? He's walking through the churches. He says, I know. I know exactly what you've gone through. I'm right here. I know. Craig, I know. I know. I know what's going on, Bill. And he's just loving us. The Spirit of God's doing that. And Jesus appears to John and says, I'm in and among the church. I know. I know. So soothing. So intimate. He's not just out there. But as followers of Christ, we know he's right here. And then he turned and he said, I saw someone like the Son of Man. That's a reference to the book of Daniel, Jesus' favorite reference to himself. By the way, there's 500 Old Testament references or allusions in the book of Revelation. You want to know how the Old Testament fits together in Jesus? The book of Revelation teaches us that. He's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash across his chest. That refers to Exodus, the high priest's garment. Here's John's oldest friend, Jesus. But he's appearing to him now, not as he remembered him. Now, right? The hair on his head was like wool, white, means wisdom. Look at this. His eyes, verse 14, were like blazing fire. In other words, it was a purifying effect. As his eyes looked through John, can you imagine? I mean, what are the eyes? The window to the soul? He's looking straight into the eyes of the risen Jesus. And it's like, like fire coming through him. Not crushing him, but purifying him. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. To the Old Testament people, that was the most, um, the longing of their heart, the blessing constantly in the Old Testament. Let the face, let your face shine upon us. You've heard that before. That's what's happening here. John's going, I can't believe it. The face of God is shining on me. I don't know how he contained himself. The Christology, the study of Jesus in Revelation, if, if you, you're dead if it doesn't cause you to worship. If it doesn't lift your soul amidst terrible circumstances, when you focus on Christ, it does something to you. Jesus turns all of his holiness, all of his purity towards us, not to crush you but to liberate us from circumstances, from defeating headlines, to give us hope. Amen is right. You know, a friend of mine who's an African-American preacher, 
says it this way. Some of you need to stop telling God about your problems and start telling your problems on God. Oh, I'm sorry. Start telling your problems about God. So much better, right? What would happen if the vision of Jesus as he is right now consumed your imagination? How would that change you? Is your spirit being lifted even this morning, the last 20 minutes of who Jesus is? I love that. So the first thing, the first headline Jesus says, focus on me. Not just me and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Focus on me as I am now. And then the second one is this. The encouragement of Jesus throughout the whole book of Revelation is this. Finish strong. Finish strong. One of my heartbreaking realities, uh, there's two, with the Bill Cosby thing. Uh, The first is uh, I am so sad for the women that guy abused and the pain and the way he used his power and the hypocrisy. I have five daughters. It just wells up within me. Uh, but the second thing that hurts me is I'm like, dang it, that's going to be, that, that's your last chapter? Really? Who cares what kind of run you had as an actor? Look at your last chapter. You're in prison, busted because of your hypocrisy and your, your crime. You ever think about your last chapter? You ever think about what you're doing now to make sure you finish strong? Two years ago, there was a race in uh, Atlanta, a big race called the Peachtree 10K. Huge race in Atlanta. Tens, hundreds of thousands of people. Well, there was an American runner winning the race, and he mistook the finish line. And so when he got to the finish line, which wasn't the finish line, he started celebrating early. And right behind him, a British runner ran right past him and won the race. And later that day, the British runner tweeted this, pleased to take the win today at the Peachtree 10K. And then he said this, always run through the line. That's the message of the book of Revelation. Finish strong. With the Spirit of God, you can. Turn to someone right now, right now, and say, don't stop, finish strong. Come on, we need this encouragement. felt good, didn't it? That's why we're here. We need that. Can't get that on a podcast. We need that together, right? Look at Revelation 2, 26. Jesus says, and this is all over the place, but to the one who is, what's the word? Why do I have that Nike symbol behind it? Because the Greek word for victorious is nikeo. It's where Nike gets their term. Uh, The word means to win, to overcome, to prevail. Jesus isn't hanging that like a carrot over your head saying, I dare you to be. No, he's saying, with me, that's your destiny. Now turn to someone and say, that's your destiny. Come on. You are, Carol, you're an overcomer. John, you're an overcomer, right? Don't take that from me. Take that from Jesus. He says to the church, with me, we got this. You're going to get beaten John got boiled alive. You might be killed for your faith. You're going to suffer. But your destiny is to overcome. And so Jesus would say, and I mean this in, in your relationships. Uh, I know we have students here as students uh, in, in our old age, in our legacy. 
finish strong. Let your last chapter be your best chapter. That's why Revelation was written. Now, quickly, I'm over time, so the only way this is going to work, page three, is if we make it personal. Make it personal. Look at this verse in Revelation 2, 29. He says this throughout the book, Jesus does. Whoever has ears, let them, and in the NIV translation team, appropriately put them because they wanted to make it gender neutral. But in the original uh, language, it is singular. Um, let me just put this better. Let him or her. So this isn't talking to a church as a whole. Dan is talking to you. Whoever has ears, let Dan hear. Let Dane hear. Let Eloise hear. Let Freda hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's amazing to me. Jesus will speak to the church and then end by saying, now I know you're all gathered together and you might lose this in the sea and the multitude, but I'm talking to you, Esther Smith and Ernestine Hoyt. I'm talking directly to you. It's like I gathered this whole thing just for you. Isn't that awesome how Jesus is? you got to make it personal. These messages are not for the person on the other side of the sanctuary or in a different gathering. They're not for the other churches in Redwood City. They're for you. And unless you make it personal, this will never work. That's why we want to encourage you. Get the book. Go to Amazon. If you don't like reading books, get it on Kindle. Get an audio book on Amazon. Um, be in a study. Get in a study. We have videos set up at this study. Make it personal so that we can be confident and carry on. And I just want to say our culture's never needed followers of Christ to have that posture like it does today. Amen? Father, thank you for this word. We can't wait to jump in it. So God, guide us from here. Jesus, thank you. We want to see you high and lifted up as you are right now. Reveal yourself, Lord. Let us dig in and worship you. I thank you for these saints and the way they've lived their lives and their lives have made a statement for decades. You're worth it. May we continue to do that. We pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.